Blog Talk Radio. Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> You built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? First, and welcome to season eight of the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adults with cancer. I am Matthew Zachary, a 15-year young adult survivor of brain cancer. And I'm Lisa Bernhard, 15-year young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. Got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Well, get busy living, because the Stupid Cancer Show is here to change the world, one chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's show is a pre-OMG Summit-themed show on parenting and families. Julie Larson, a young adult cancer advocate and New York City young adult psychotherapist, joins us, as does Marsha Donziger, a young adult ovarian cancer survivor and founder of MyLifeline.org, and Aaron Zamet Ruddy, a YA survivor of chronic myelogenous leukemia, author of My So-Called Normal Life, and a blogger for Parenting.com, and starting us off in the Survivor Spotlight, is singer-songwriter and YA survivor of Ewing sarcoma, Kobe Brown. Alrighty, as a reminder, this broadcast is a production of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation online at stupidcancer.com. We help young adults fight cancer and win every single day. We are bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs because it's not okay that 70,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer every year. So hello, my friends, and welcome back to yet another fun-filled and exciting romp to the hay on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show, where we're a mission... It's not a cure, and survivorship is all that matters. And a stupid cancer welcome to all of our first-time listeners on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes and on Ustream, where we live stream video as we broadcast live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. And again, the Stupid Cancer Show has a live interactive chat feed during each broadcast. We invite you to join in the fun, connect with our friends, and ask questions of our guests. We have no in-studio guests tonight, so I will cut right to the chase and welcome... Here we are. Monday, Monday. Monday, Monday. Cozy. Cozy in here now. It's cozy? There's a lot of oxygen. It's not terribly warm <laughs> like it tends to be with a lot of bodies? Yes. We are, are enjoying our solitude. We are. Very nice. Well, anyway, the, the big news of the week, of course, um, Tokyo. No, I'm kidding. It's Kenny. The big news of the week is Kenny. 
What? And Aaron. Well, and Tokyo Aaron. Still, Japan well, yes. is still the big news of the week. Yeah, I guess. Japan and Libya. And the rest of Team and Stupid Libya. Cancer. <laughs> yeah. But I'm going to pay special attention to Team Stupid Cancer. Go to the microcosm here. Raising nearly $50,000 for the I2Y Cancer Foundation at the New York City Half Marathon this week. That is insane and awesome, and I can't thank them enough. They are a rocking team, 25 runners of the highest caliber. Kenny, you were one of them. Walk us through it, pun intended. I, I, I was one of the, uh, I'm like a prisoner of war still. <laughs> it, like, it, it, I don't have a finish time, technically, so I could still be out on the course if, I see. Uh, if they yeah. tried to track me down. He's, he's, he's kind of virtually running. He could be in a video game, yeah, kind of I, still out there. I went from a lazy boy to the half marathon, and I made it, <laughs> I made it 11 miles. But then you got scooped up by the bus, right? Well, I voluntarily scooped myself up. Oh, you could have kept running? I pro- Well, <laughs> running. <laughs> define running. If running is uh, walking, then yes. Yes. I by running, you running. mean standing in place. Yes. Right. Exactly. And, uh, not, and not to call Kenny a lazy boy himself, but this is the first athletic endeavor that he's ever done since he played catcher in a baseball game when you were how old, Kenny? Oh, 12 years old. And ca- and being a catcher is a dubious athletic yeah. endeavor. Yeah, but that was six weeks ago. It's, it's so. more of... Yeah. It's more of like being a pinch hitter. <laughs> wow. Well, congratulations to you and Aaron and the whole team. And, uh, again, I mean, going from a a lazy boy to... To a uh, less lazy boy. To, <laughs> to to skipping, like, who's that, uh, who, like, what? with the what? P- Pippi Longstocking, she skips, whatever, the marathon? Pippa Lotta, Francesca, be- yes. window face, long stocking. Right, because the red I hair. I would consider him with the bat, just get a tasket, just coming down Fifth Avenue. Yeah. All right, exactly. That's Kenny, all the way. Well, congratulations. 11 yes. miles. I mean, I'm waiting yeah. for the one-fifth marathon, because I think maybe I can we do We were five. originally going to do the stupid cancer saunter for the cure. Oh, nice. Which was like going across the street to a bar. Yeah, well, that, yeah. Was, that was a stupid Well, we do that crawl. a lot. Yeah. We, we do a lot of the bar crawls anyway. That's right. Saunter for the cure. Oh, we get sued if we say for the cure. So yeah. Can say that. We're, yeah, we're very good at that. We'll right. say uh, for, the, for the hangover. <laughs> <laughs> stupid cancer saunter for the hangover. Yes. <laughs> My goodness. My goodness. Anyway, um, so we have other news to report. We have um, the street team. Again, right. Kenny, why don't you tell us? Yes, the street team is the best way to get involved with the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation. You can check it out at stupidcancerarmy.com. Sign up, and you can even get credit and uh, points towards free stuff by listening to this show right now. Um, so if you're in the chat room, all you'd have to do is take a screenshot, upload it, and uh, voila. But uh, you'd have to check it out to know what I'm talking about. So head over to stupidcancerarmy.com. Right, and and again, I feel so old because I don't understand the army. I'm not a fan core person, and I just I'm glad that it's taking off. Eighty five people so far. Yeah. In a week. In a week, exactly. And our social reach is almost twenty thousand. Yeah. Kenny is our uh, and Matthew, you know a lot about tech stuff, but Kenny is just a whiz I, I bring, at this stuff. He, I bring he, the cultural relevancy. Okay. To steal a term from the right, well, Survival Coalition. Kenny gets a dollar for using big words. Yeah. yeah. How many syllables in that? Yes. The cultural. We're, you and I are evidently completely irrelevant. We are. To this culture. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Absolutely irrelevant. We have irrelevant. no relevancy whatsoever. The Thank irony, God for Kenny to well, make us relevant. The, the irony being there would be no culture without me having started this organization. I take only ownership you are of the culture. fact. Of the I am cancer co- culture. Co culture. You are. Maybe. Well, no. You. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> I should just leave the room now. Bring it. <laughs> All right. I won't mention who you dated in the oh. 90s. Oh. Uh, no. 
Oh, you're funny. Oh, if it was Mark Wahlberg, you'd you'd, you'd be very proud of it, though. No. Mark Wahlberg? Whatever. I just saw him in that date movie with the one with... Um, oh, yeah, that's a funny movie. And he's very good in that. With Tina Fey, who yeah. we were discussing earlier. Um, go see The Fighter, though, as well. Oh, The Fighter. I have not seen that's The Fighter. A, that's a great film. Ah, anyway. anyway. But so, we digress. Yes, we digress. Um, well, so, the, so we have... Uh, you want to talk about The Summit, since we can't talk enough about The what's Summit? What's The Summit? <laughs> since our show is, our show is look- a walk-up, one of the shows that will be yes. a walk-up to The Summit. Tonight is all about the... Uh, Preloading, if you would, the barrel of the OMG Summit now in just three and a half weeks coming up. Uh, the next uh, three broadcasts will be featuring panelists from from the summit. Um, tonight is families, parenting with cancer and families. Next week is singles with cancer and then patient navigation. And then insurance and legal. Four more shows, sorry, four more shows right. uh, leading up to the OMG Cancer Summit here in New York, omg2011.org. Very exciting. Very exciting. Didn't make it last year, but I will be there this year. Yeah, you had to go take a vacation. I had to. I had to take a sailing trip uh, with my uh, beloved partner and parents uh, in the BVIs. It was rough. The wet eyes? <laughs> this is not something... I know, you sailing in the Caribbean, it's not a Matthew thing to do. The BBIs? BVIs, British uh, Virgin Islands. Oh, BVIs. Yeah. I've BVIs. heard of them. Sounds like underwear. It does a like little BVDs. bit. Sounds like yeah. you need to take a, a pill for it. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the BVIs. Help me, please. It was uh, beautiful, but I will be at the at the OMG Summit. And for those of you who are attending Deborah Ludwig's writing workshop, I'm going to pop into that actually and make a little uh, do a little cameo appearance slash chat. Well, I might not, show up now. Yeah, not <laughs> not not build or anything. A sort of un unbuild uh, appearance in the writing workshop. Well, now it's build since I've. Done a thing or two in the past about that has to do with writing. So uh, I can't wait to meet everybody. It's going to be cool. It's going to be awesome. All right. Well, actually, let's kick off right away on time for once, <laughs> dear Matt. True. Uh, our Survivor Spotlight tonight. So, uh, all right, Lisa, take it away. All right, Kobe Brown is a Los Angeles-based singer and songwriter who wrote his last record, Stars and Curses, in 2006 and 2007 while going through and recovering from treatment for Ewing sarcoma. He's currently recording and raising funds for his next release with a percentage of the proceeds going to none other than I'm Too Young for This. Well, that's pretty cool. Very cool. Please welcome to the show, Kobe Brown. Kobe. Hey. Hi, Kobe. Hi there. How are you? Good evening, my friend. Good evening. <laughs> We're thrilled to have you here. I've been Facebooking and tweeting uh, all day the uh, free single that folks can download, Live to Tell oh, the Story. You. Oh, what a, yeah. what a great song that is. Oh, that's really sweet. Thank you very much. Lisa's your new favorite stalker. I am. I love it. <laughs> I don't like you, though. So I, I a, That's fine. <laughs> I'm, a group, I'm a groupie. That's great. I love it. That's fantastic. You know, my 10-month-old, almost 11-month-old son's name is Kobe, but it's with a K. Right, right. So you have to tell me if I'm right and you're wrong or vice versa. You know, I don't know. There's just so many different variations now. I, I used to think I was the only the only Kobe in the world, and, and I've, I've, I've learned I'm wrong about that. So, But mine's short for Jacob, for what that's worth. Oh, oh that's well, there neat. you go. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I guess you're a tribesman. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> exactly Very nice. right. So Brown was probably like Brownberg and Wittgensteinheimer. Brown was some, apparently Brown was something else, and that's that. That was the uh, the Americanization of the um, of the last name Bryn. 
um, years and years ago. Oh, so, very okay. Matthew, aren't you going to cue the appropriate music? For All this? right, we have Jews on the show. Ready? Yes. <laughs> nice. I got to do what I can. My people. I love My it. My people. That's fantastic. All right, that's enough of that. Mazel tov. Mazel tov. So we got you in the show because you happen to have had cancer. That's right. Which super sucked. <laughs> and you happen to be a musician who's very talented. Thank you. As an, un, an an underachiever, to say the least. Yeah. Talk us through your story. How did all of this happen? Um, well, it all happened um, in 2006. I, I, I was having uh, some issues in my nose and my sinus. I had uh, sort of a, a block happening. I, I just couldn't breathe in and out of one my right nostril. And, and uh, I really didn't. It just never cancer was never on my radar about it, and then I, I, you know, at the repeated request of the ENT I was seeing, I went and got it. Uh, I thought it was having a polyp removed. It, he told me when I came back for the follow-up that it was actually cancer, um, and uh, that began sort of six weeks of uncertainty, figuring out what kind of cancer it was, and uh, a lot of trips across the country from LA back to my hometown of Boston, and. Uh, Eventually led me to uh, City of Hope here in in Southern California, where I where I went through treatment for Ewing sarcoma. And you were yes. how old at, at the I time? was uh, I was 31 when I was diagnosed. I just turned 31. Okay, and I'm sorry, Kobe. You said that the polyp was where? It was in my sinus. In your sinus, right? In my in my right sinus. Okay. So, um, it just kind of took on a life of its own, <laughs> no pun intended, and and. Uh, and you know, went from being sort of just like I had like a sinus infection I couldn't get rid of, and it, and it you know it, there was a reason that the I couldn't get rid of it. <laughs> so um, I was lucky to find out that I that early and 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 you know that the the treatment I went through was was um, great and I mean great as in as in effective. Um, right. And uh, and that I, I finished up my treatment um, Valentine's Day of 2007. So so you about went back. A year and, What's that? Okay, so you went back to L.A. where you were living and I pursuing did. I, well, a career. I, my family's in Boston, and I, I have a couple of doctors in my family, so they wanted me to come back there and, and you know, go to – I went to uh, to uh, Dana-Farber and, and uh, had meetings there, and then I, ultimately I decided not. I decided I wanted to do my treatment at City of Hope in Los Angeles. So I, my question for you is, along this uh, wonderful journey of yours being told uh-huh. about Ewing sarcoma of the – of the nasopharyngeal cavity, is that correct? Yeah, the uh, I guess it was the ethmoid sinus. Right, that's a great place to have it, by the way. If you're gonna it have it someplace, time. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, were you at all introduced to age-appropriate resources or support? Were you given a social worker or nutritional counseling? I'm, I'm trying to, to 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 drive the story around. You know, do you feel like you were treated with equality and fairness? I'll tell you, it was a little confusing just because, you know, it, I had a pediatric tumor because Ewing's is, is generally a pediatric tumor in yes. in, in the long bones, and um, and I was, you know, I was I, I had just gotten married three months before, um, so you know I didn't want to be treated in the pediatric oncology division, I, but the adult, but the specialists were, you know, it's a it's a kid's cancer, so uh, it, it was just a little bit weird, like in terms of where I was going to do my treatment, and then. Um, Adults or pediatric side of the hospital, and then, as far as resources, um, yeah, I mean, some of it was appropriate. Some of it, you know, that I had a, a social worker and I had a, a great nutritionist um, at City Hope, um, but you know, there there was there was not a lot of 
resources that I was aware of at the time. I mean, I wish I had known about uh, this show and, and I2I um, along the way. I found out about it, you know, after I finished treatment. So for what that's worth. And and how old were you when you started knowing that you wanted to be an artist? Jeez. Uh, I, um, I, I was uh, probably five or six. I remember, you know, my, my dad was... Uh, Playing the guitar around uh, in the holidays uh, when I was about that age, and I just that was it for me. I saw him playing the guitar, and I was like, "That's what I want to do." So, how did this? When you had this diagnosis, because it's in the sinus area, did it affect your singing, presumably? And how did it kind of interrupt your career at that point? Well, it, it stopped everything cold. Um, so it went from you know um, I had I had uh, been working hard, and I had just you know finally started to I think turn a little bit of a corner and. Uh, and it just all took a back seat. But I, I, I think that was the best thing because um, I, I frankly was a little, um, I, I had uh, burned out a little bit on, on um, the business side of music. And I, I you know, I, I took a forced break for about a year and it was actually the best thing I could have done because it totally made me realize why I wanted to play music again to begin with. So, um, But, you know, I, I, I played a couple of shows um, when I could, but it, it got, it was, you know, it's, it was, it wasn't really possible after a certain point. So. And you said so you had just gotten married uh, three months yeah, prior had, to the diagnosis. I had just gotten married. Yeah. So that's that's a whole other set of issues. I mean, we're talking about parenting tonight. And um, do you yeah. have do you have kids? We just had um, our first. We have a daughter. Um, we had her in. Well, I didn't. My wife had her. Right. Uh, well, you you, and, you know you contributed. I contributed. That's about all I did. Um, when was she born? She was born on August ninth, and uh, her name is Chaplin. Chaplin. Mazel Tov. Chaplin. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, as in yeah, so a new baby girl in the house. That's very appropriate for tonight's show. Yeah, it's amazing. It's been incredible. Well, we're discussing uh, couples who did not have children. Uh, were sick and then had children, or couples who already had children and then got sick, and how they navigated through that as families. Right. So, well, yeah. How, how did that interplay with you and your wife? Well, you know, when I got diagnosed, they said, you know, you need to go bank sperm. Um, and and you know, between all the other doctor's appointments that were pretty grueling and and draining, <laughs> I'd sneak off to the sperm bank. I mean. <laughs> Well, good that, good that they told you that. Yeah, absolutely, uh, totally. Do you think I mean, that's because you had pediatric doctors? Um, I'm. It, I don't know what it, it might have been. You know, the first time I heard it was when I was back at Dana Farber, and and I was meeting with um, the doctors there, and they said you're going to need to do this. Um, they said there's a chance that you know, um, I, I would probably be sterile, but there's a chance that I wouldn't, and obviously I, didn't, I wasn't prepared to take that chance. We at that point had no idea what our time frame was for having a kid, but. Um, you know, we obviously wanted to cover our bases, so we did. So, how many albums had you produced up until late? Up until uh, until the time that I got sick. Right. Um, I had. I was working on my third at the time, um, and I had sort of like a uh, a six week period before I began treatment, where they were trying to figure out what exactly I was getting treated for um, and because uh, they thought it was a neuroblastoma at first because it's pretty weird to get a Ewing's in the nose, I guess. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and so we, we just kind of hustled and and, um, and got that, that last one banged out, uh, that last record before I began treatment. Um, 
and then I then I just you know I there was no way to I didn't see what the way going forward was for um, making records and playing shows and all that stuff so I I don't know I just I was yeah, I did all my hosp uh, my treatment in inpatient in the hospital and I um, I just wrote a lot so I ended up writing uh, an album's worth of material over the course of that year and then the first few months out of treatment and then. You know, as soon as I was able, I, I hustled back into the studio to actually get to work recording it, which is Stars and Curses. So, Kobe, t- uh, tell us actually a little bit more about how it was for you to juggle being a newlywed and thinking about raising a family that, you know, we multitask so much in our lives, but, you know, you're in this kind of quintessential young adult situation where your life is just taking off in so many other areas. You felt that you had turned a corner in terms of your career, now you have a new wife, and then boom you get hit with this. How did you manage it all, your relationship with her in terms of her having to deal with this now and, and you know, kind of all those layers? Um, you know, my wife was incredible. I, 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 she's just a rock, and, um, and you know, I'm sure she'd be, um, she has her own take on everything, but, you know, she was just incredibly supportive and, and uh and I don't know. I just when things like that happen, you don't. I just. I wish there had been more time to think about it. I just. You just get into um, crunch time and you just deal. Um, I mean, I remember it was really hard. Our first anniversary. You know, I was. I had gotten neutropenic from treatment, and and I was in the hospital for the week leading up, and I was just begging them to let me out um, for our anniversary because I just didn't want to do the first anniversary in the hospital. But we ended up doing it in the hospital, and uh, I'll never forget it. It was. It was uh, it was tough. That was the day it really hit home. That, you know, it just all the other stuff besides just being in the trenches, dealing with treatment, just caught up. Um, but they were amazing at the hospital. The nurses got us a, 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 a cake and you know sang us happy anniversary. It was an incredible experience, actually. So that's great. Yeah, um, nurses were outrageously great. So. Um, but it was hard. It was really, you know, it, it probably took till after treatment to actually have all that stuff registered, to be honest. So my question to you, I mean, I'm a musician as well. I was diagnosed in college. I was a concert pianist at the time. Right. I was writing for film and television, and I was going to go to grad school to be a uh, Hollywood composer. Right. And getting diagnosed, I lost the use of my left hand. I couldn't play anymore. And it completely changed the way in which I felt creative and how to express myself on my instrument. Did right. you find that in any way to be similar? Yeah, I did. I found I found it um I found it just changed the tone of my songwriting completely. Um and and uh you know, um when you're you know, well this is a music business of almost six or seven years ago and you're trying to write songs that are hit songs, et cetera, to to get out there and try to make the next thing happen. It it's a different focus um than if you're just you know, writing um, the material that you really want to do. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I, for me it was a wake-up call. It just changed my writing style, and it made me sort of just not waste time with stuff I didn't exactly want to be doing in terms of what I wrote about and how I wrote. And I also took a much more active hand in um, in what kind of sounds I wanted um, to be putting on a record. So it, it just, you know, it 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 really woke me up in a lot of ways to what I wanted to do musically. So it changed me that way for sure. So you gave us a song we want to play on the air right now. It's called Live to Tell the Story. I think we can all understand where that came from. <laughs> yeah. um, is there anything you want to just uh, tease us with as to what to expect in the next three and a half minutes? Uh, <laughs> this is just Get sort rocked. of my rant about the whole thing, I, I guess. And then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'd also like to just let everyone know I'm going to 
I'm going to just make the whole record available to to uh, the listeners. Um, I'll throw a link up in the forums here, and anyone who wants to um, download the whole record, it's it's there to have. Um, so I'll do that. While and we are very here. grateful for that. Oh, it's my, my pleasure. Awesome. I I can't. I I hope people will enjoy it. And again, what's the name of the album? It's called Stars and Curses. Stars and Curses. This is Lived to Tell the Story by Kobe Brown. Right on. Here we go. All right. Well, 
song. Oh, that was fantastic. Right on. I love it. I don't think I've heard the the lyric pharmaceuticals used so eloquently. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love those pharmaceuticals when you need them. Good stuff, man. Better living through chemistry. That's what I would say. Uh, hey, when you when you need it, you need it. Is this maybe a Guinness Book moment too, where you could be the only uh, pop rock star or maybe songwriter in all of history to use the word pharmaceutical in a song? I don't know. I, I might have to hop on the old. Google. There. The Rolling Stones might have used it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They might have. Keith Richards, I think, might have used it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, true. Yeah. Well, we got about a minute or two left just to wrap up the segment, but uh, what are you up to now? How can people get involved? Where are you? What are you doing? What are you working on? Uh, well, I'm making a new record right now. because of your daughter. What'd you say? Besides not time? sleeping because of your daughter. <laughs> I'm not sleeping because of my daughter, but that's okay. And uh, I'm making a record right now, and... Um, if uh, you want to, if people want to download the, I, I threw a link up in the form here. Um, if people download it and in exchange for an email, I can keep them up to date, and they'll get the the last record for free, and um, I can and keep them up to date on what's going on with uh, stuff going forward. So that's kind of the long and short of it. Well, that's and, great. Yeah, gearing up for some shows. No, we in Los unfortunately Angeles. we we have to we have to wrap, but uh, sure. that's amazing. Come see us in New York, and come come play for us live in studio sometime. I would yes. love to. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. All right, Kobe Brown, everybody. Good luck, bro. All All right, thanks so much. Thanks so much. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. All right, let's knock out the news here really quickly. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. You're up, MD. Oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm paying too much attention to the switchboard. Go. All righty. You start. I'm going to start this over again. All righty. During this part of the stupid cancer show, <laughs> we space I was, out. I was staring up into space. We completely lose it and during just play this, music. I know. That's it. I'm glad you're enjoying the background music. All right. We're going to play the... Everyone knows what I'm going to say. Here's the news. Ladies and gentlemen, Lisa Bernhardt. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.com, your one-stop calendar for all of our stupid cancer events nationwide, and even Canada. Our friends up in the north, stay in the loop because something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. And we've got stupid cancer events coming up in Matthew Ware. New Orleans, New York City, Boston, uh, Ohio, New Jersey, Jersey, again with New Orleans, Two in New Orleans. Yes, and then Los Angeles. Matthew's thumbing through these. That's why. Everything is on events.stupidcancer.com. That's right. You sound so excited. I am really tired. <laughs> How about the OMG? You want to take that one? Yeah, we mentioned it before, but again, the fourth annual OMG Summit has reopened registration, and that includes spots for the Cancer-tastic Cruise to Nowhere Woo. on Saturday night, April 16th. Sign up now and don't miss your chance to attend the OMG Cancer Summit. For anyone else, the official best conference of the year for young adults affected by stupid cancer visit omg2011.org today and announcing the stupid cancer street team which we spoke about a little bit earlier on the show kenny kane did brought to you by the stupid cancer army and our friends at fancor this is truly social networking with a purpose it's free it's easy win great prizes build our grassroots efforts and meet thousands of authentic fans not posers, authentic oh, fans authentic. Yeah. from around the globe. Sign up today at stupidcancerarmy.com. 
Alrighty, and the Super Cancer Forums is taking off like a lightning rod. We don't want you missing out on the awesome new online community that we are building. Kenny, how many folks in the forums now? Uh, getting close to 500. Wow. Almost 500 people after like a month and a half. Uh, something like that. And people are writing incredible things. Yes, it's just really amazing. So, one click through Facebook, sign up and join all these people making us think about Super Cancer. Every Tuesday, our partners at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Am I not loud enough here, Matthew? No, you're good. You're talking to the mic. Yep. <laughs> let's let's start that again then. Every Tuesday, there our partners at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society present YA Connect, a free interactive webcast supporting young adults affected by all cancers. Check it out at lls.org slash YA Connect. All right, and as always, be sure to register yourself with Immerman Angels, our partner in one-to-one peer matching at ImmermanAngels.org, and check out the calendar for our friends at First Descent, the premier outdoor adventure organization for young adults affected by stupid cancer online at FirstDescent.org. They host dozens of retreats and excursions every year. And True North Treks hosts unique wilderness retreats for young adult survivors, and registration is now open for their Olympic Peninsula Treks, where is that exactly? Well, you'll have to find out by going to their website. Is there an Olympic Peninsula that I don't know about? I have Washington no idea. State, Greece? Anything Who knows? west of Jersey is, I know. is Europe. It sounds like it's somewhere <laughs> cool. Their Olympic Peninsula trek could be challenging, uh, but that's a good thing. From September 9th to 14th, visit http colon. I, we have that in there. You like really a have to say that? Like dork. <laughs> well, it doesn't have the W. <laughs> no, WWW. No, WWW. Go to True North Treks. As in, you know, T-R-E-K-S. Star Trek. Like the bike. Or taking a trek, right. Or like the bike. TrueNorthTreks.org. And that, my friends, is your your Stupid Stupid Cancer News. I we still have to work out this angle of the mic. Yeah. Because now we're live streaming. I've got the the no-popping-P thing. I'm reading here. Right. Just do away with the mics. Yeah, just shout. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hi! (laughs) Oh! Well, we have a full-on onslaught of special guests. A full-on um, onslaught. A full-on onslaught of guests. We're going to read them all and then bring them onto the show. Julie, you're up. You're going to read her intro? Take your pick as to who goes first. You go, Julie. All right. We did, we did discuss this before the show. Yeah, we did. Okay. We all did, right. We did try to work things out. Go all ahead, Matt. Julie Larson provides free professional support services, including counseling, education, financial assistance, and practical help. Oh, that's her old bio. I don't have a new bio. She was raised by wolves. She <laughs> was raised by wolves in, um, in in Tempe, Arizona. That sounds good. She's a former ballet dancer on Broadway and hitchhiked very blonde with a beautiful little daughter. How's that? Perfect. All right. Marsha, go ahead. No you, no, you have Marsha. I, I, I have Aaron. Okay. Matthew. We need to rehearse. Oi, Give them go. all the money. Marsha Donziger is a 14-year cancer survivor diagnosed with stage 3 C, ovarian cancer, 27 years old, and a mother of twins. I feel her pain every day. She is the founder of MyLifeline.org Cancer Foundation. They believe in a strong support community and is critical for cancer patients. Every day they provide free professional websites to cancer patients and caregivers to easily connect with family and friends because no patient could ever feel alone. And Erin Zamet Wright, she's a journalist like I am. Yes, she is. Yeah, that's why I wanted to see Another redhead. I'm not a redhead. No, Kenny Kenny's a redhead. Yeah. All right, Erin Zamoretti is a nine-year survivor of chronic myelogenous leukemia and the author of My So-Called Normal Life, 
She chronicled her battle with CML in the award-winning Life with Cancer column for Glamour magazine. During that time, she also wrote a daily blog on Glamour.com that gave hope, laughs, and support to thousands of young adults with cancer. An ardent fundraiser for leukemia research, she has appeared on several television programs, including Nightline, The Today Show, Dateline, and Good Morning, America. And Marcy Rappaport is a young adult survivor oncologist from Danbury Hospital in Connecticut. Uh, and he's here tonight with us, ladies and gentlemen, our panel of experts, Aaron Zanaretti, Julie Larson, Marcia Donziger, and Mark Rappaport. Folks. Welcome, everybody. Did we embarrass you enough to stay on the show? <laughs> I'm still here. We don't really rehearse it in case you didn't notice. We don't rehearse at all, we ever. Actually, we actually do, which is even sadder. We actually do pre-plan things. Uh, anyway, welcome to the show. Some of you are returning champions. Some of you are first-time guests. We're thrilled to have you here. You are the OMG Cancer Summit panel on parenting and families with cancer. We are? So, oh, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> they are, Matthew. You said that as if it were a question. Yeah, you okay. are? <laughs> Yes, you are. Who picked these lots? My goodness. <laughs> All right. I'm going to start with Marsha only because she has twins. So, Aaron, you're going to have to have two more kids at the same time to catch up to Marsha. But, uh, Marsha, let's, let's start with you. Um, I've known you a long time. You're a huge fan of yours and mutually beneficial relationships that we have. Talk us through your story with ovarian cancer very briefly and uh, how you got interconnected and how it affected your life with children. Yes. So 14 years ago when I had ovarian cancer, I had not had kids yet. So I come from the vantage point of being someone who's 27 and had been newly married like Kobe was. We were getting ready to start our family, and then, bam, an ovarian cancer diagnosis comes with a hysterectomy and six months of chemo and no option to bank sperm like Kobe had. So that's fantastic, right? Yeah, yeah. So options for women are are not as how shall I say? Um, we easy, get screwed you know, again. Easy to come by. Yeah, not. Yeah. No pun intended. Yeah. So um, so a few years later, you know, we um, my husband and I had children with the help of a surrogate mom and an egg donor, and now wow. we have twins who are five and a half years old, and they're wonderful. Fantastic. So, yeah. Erin, you're up. <laughs> You want my story real quick? We what? want your story. Yeah, you had cancer, right? I did, yes, yes. That's why I'm here. Um, I, I was diagnosed with CML at 23. Um, also, like Marsha, there was no, you know, there was no um, banking or uh, doing eggs or freezing embryos. I had to go, I had to start treatment right away. But I, I take Gleevec. Um, I take a pill every day, and I was able to go off that drug to get pregnant. Um, and you know, miraculously, my cancer didn't come back for the nine months pregnancy, um, and everything went great, and so I decided to do it again, um, and now I have two kids, uh, a three-and-a-half-year-old and a one-year-old, and I'm back on my Gleevec every day and feeling good, and um, it's it's great. It's it's pretty much like, you know, I have a seemingly normal life, despite taking this medication that keeps me alive every day. <laughs> so. A so-called normal life. Exactly. <laughs> As is the title of your acclaimed book. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I wasn't trying to get a plug in there, but thank you. <laughs> and Dr. Rappaport, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. No, I mean, it's great to be here. You know, I got introduced um, by a patient of uh, my practice, and it's just been an excellent thing. I... I'm 34 years old, diagnosed when I was 28, right before I started my fellowship for oncology. I was pretty shocked. I had this 
on my neck, and I found that out I had advanced thyroid cancer. And my treatment and so forth in my fellowship and oncology, and I, I have this unique perspective as being the patient and an oncologist, so I really kind of know both sides of it. And I think that if and when I discuss it with some patients, they really can empathize with me about the process going through it being diagnosed. So I have a good understanding. I actually want a support group for young adults at Anne's Place in uh, Danbury, Connecticut, which has been awesome. And um, I'm very happy about this whole process, so thank you. Well, we're thrilled to have you. And uh, our returning champion, Julie Larson, I think you've been on the show more than just about anyone. <laughs> but I have, and, and she I keeps coming not back. raised by wolves. <laughs> I know. I need your new bio. You, I need your new bio. One would think if you come back this many times, you might have been raised by wolves. Yes, right? that is true. I am going to agree with that wholeheartedly. Okay, now, but now, I don't know, yeah. something, yeah, I have it. But I um, come to you, I'm a social worker. I actually am not a cancer survivor, but I um, am a private practice, private practice therapist in Manhattan. I work with lots of young adults, people between the age of 20 and 40, who are going through a lot of different life stressors, and um, am, have a lot of experience working with young people when they have a life-threatening illness and cancer being a significant issue and lots of unique 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 concerns to this age group. Parenting being one of those. And Julie, specifically how did you get into counseling that age group of young adults and specifically many who uh come by cancer diagnoses? Sure. My his my background, my experience, I was the director of the young adult program at Cancer Care for nearly seven years. And so during my time at Cancer Care, which is a large nonprofit, I I started their young adult program and then just became more and more entrenched in this population, what was unique, what was different in working with young adults. I am now a steering, on the steering committee for the Live Strong Young Adult Alliance, so I continue to stay very connected nationally in more of a policy and agenda type of way. But in my private practice, meet with people one-on-one. So while I don't have my own story, I feel like I've got the story of so many people that I lean on and I, and, I, and I listen to daily to kind of understand the complexity of this experience. Now, Julie, obviously you know Aaron and you know um, Marsha. I don't know. You'll meet Mark in, uh, in New York at the conference. But from right. your experience, and maybe this is a question from you to the crew, what do you see coming to your table as sort of the, the bigger picture issues um, when when faced with cancer, whether you've had children yet or have been married yet or have not, and then have to get married or have children? Well, I think, um, you know, if I were to kind of divide things into two pots, um, you have the young adults that are coming to me who do not yet have children. So here they have a diagnosis of cancer, and having children, having their own babies is definitely in their vision for what they want in their life, their dreams and their hopes, and and yet this diagnosis threatens that, and there's a lot of emotion to that. And not only is there the whole emotional component, but there's all the practical issues of fertility preservation and how do you parent when you're not yet a parent. And there's that, that category. And then the other category is when I meet with people who do have young children, and how do they tell them, and how do they talk about it? And how do they support their young their young little people in their homes while they're going through pretty um, harsh treatments? And also one more thing, just to chime in, is, you know, the question of, I, I've done, like, a big lecture on this for, for young adults, um, body dysmorphic disorder in terms of how they relate to their spouse, 
and mm. I think that's also a very big thing. Work relationships going through cancer treatments has been a big problem for young adults versus older people. So there's so many factors to discuss with this, but it's it's really a, it's a whole different field. So let's mm-hmm. uh, let's back up and go to some individual stories. Like for instance, going back to Erin, you had decided specifically to go off the medication and get pregnant. At what point? How, how long was it after your diagnosis that you said? I'm going to give pregnancy a shot here and kind of talk us through that. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely, you know, I was diagnosed when I was 23. I I had a boyfriend, but I wasn't really thinking about kids at that point. But you can't, you know, cancer really makes you think about a lot of things that you don't really want to think about. So um, we did ask the questions, but it wasn't until um, five years later when I got married and, um, you know, was in complete remission and feeling really good, and I I talked to you know every doctor and every expert and every got every opinion I possibly could and found other women who'd been through it, um, who had kids, some some with a surrogate, some adopted, some went off the drugs, some did a different medication during you know a pregnancy safe medication, so I really did all my homework um, and then decided that it was it was the right time and it was the right decision for me um, because. You know, and I'm, and I'm sure other cancer survivors can relate to this. I just, I felt good. You know, I wasn't sick, even though I was still taking my medication every day. I didn't feel sick. I didn't feel like a cancer patient at all. Um, it wasn't like I was sitting in the chemo room trying to get pregnant. You know, I, I was, I was long past the the scary times. Right. And so it was hard for me to not want all the things that I would want otherwise. You know, without cancer in my life. Um, so. To me, it didn't seem like this rash, crazy decision. And, and you know, so, some people probably thought that about me, that well, what is she doing risking her life? Why is she going off of her medication? But um, but I really did so much homework that it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't the, you know, I didn't sleep as well as I've ever slept in my life those nine months. You know, there was definitely yeah. nerve-wracking times. But it was, you know, it was well-researched, and, and, and we, we knew what we were doing, I feel like. Well, that's, I think you just answered my next question, which is I was going to say, even though physically you felt fine and you had obviously the green light from all the doctors, emotionally those nine months, I mean, what did, did you have to do things to kind of keep yourself kind of stress-free and, and calm throughout? Well, I think um, having now been pregnant twice, the first time, I mean, I was just thinking about everything anyway. I mean, you get on all these things and it's like sure. your baby's the size of an eggplant and here's what could possibly be wrong with your kid this week and here's what should be happening and if you eat this or do this or look this way, like there's just so many things to worry about anyway right. when you're pregnant. Right. Right. If you're somebody who gets on the Internet and reads blogs and reads other stories, right. which I am. Which, yeah. um, so really there was enough to worry about just that way. And then, you know, sure, yeah, I, I, I every time I got my blood tested once a month, um, and, you know, in that there was about a three-day lag where I would get be- before I'd get the results back. And every month I'd think, oh, gosh, is this going to be the month? But by the time we got to, like, month six or seven, I knew we were in the home stretch anyway, you know. Um, and and I really stopped worrying. But then having done it the second time, I was, like, seven months pregnant. And my, I looked at my husband and I was like, oh, we're having a baby. We might want to, like, you know. Get a get a nursery going, or like start thinking about <laughs> right, the fact that we're going to have two kids here. You know, like I, apart from having a belly, I really didn't even think about it. And that's the benefit of having gone through it before. Um, you know, and and being able to not stress, and also having an insane two year old running around the house. And and Aaron, not, if, you know. for the for the record, the book that I read when Jess was pregnant was How Not to Kill Your Kids Today, <laughs> awesome. by Matthew Zachary. That's the book. So, Aaron, you you obviously. You did not have to go through any fertility treatments to get pregnant when you chose to go off the Gleevec? 
No, I didn't. What I what I did do though is because I didn't want to. You know, it's, it's some women have trouble getting pregnant. I didn't know if I was going to be one of those women, so I wanted to make sure that I, um, before I went off the drug, that I could get pregnant. So and and my oncologist wanted me to do that as well. So I, so I went to um, you know some a fantastic fertility specialist, and I did all the testing, and my husband did all the sperm testing, which he loved, and then he had to do it again, which he loved, and you oh, know God. it was like we were, and I was at the. I didn't really every love day. that. I don't know. Hey, you had to carry the kid, so, you know, (laughs) you had to carry the kid. He could, he could, that's the least he could do. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) So, um, ultimately, yeah, we were able to do it the old-fashioned way, but there was a lot of doctors and a lot of blood tests and a lot of, um, you know, back and forth in the beginning. Um, But, you know, yeah, it was. uh, So that takes us to Marsha, who you kind of had no choice. Yeah. But to look at options. Were you, did did you feel like the, the, the system was sensitive to that, or did you have to do all your own research? Were you given any guidance? Um, regarding, like, options like adoption or surrogate. Right, right, exactly. Or adoption oh, like no, that, yeah. nothing in the cancer world regarding that. But there's there's a lot of information out there in the fertil- infertility world. So it's kind of thrust into infertility um, at the day of my diagnosis, and that was my bigger concern than having cancer, to be honest. I was really devastated because I had been trying to get pregnant for a few months, and it wasn't working. And that's when we found that there was a big mass on my ovary and everything was removed. And then that option was taken away. So, I mean, I was put in touch with a social worker who took me through, like, grief counseling when you can't have your own baby. Um, The social worker said you have to grieve for the baby you had always wished for. And then, you know, once you get past that, you can think about your options, you know. And then that's only fair to the children that you're going to be getting in the future, whether they're, they're adopted or or through a di- through surrogacy. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, um, but it it was. Yeah. yeah. So let me ask you. So you were actually did they happen to? It sounds like they found your cancer as a result of you trying to get pregnant. That you had a trouble conceiving, and were they doing an ultrasound, and that's how they came upon the mass? Yeah, that's pretty close. I, well, I was trying to conceive. It wasn't working for a few months, and I was only 27, so I thought that was. I didn't think it should be. You know. I wanted to make sure everything was working fine. Right. I felt like I had a bladder infection, and that's when they found a tumor they thought was benign on one ovary. And I asked, and I told, I told Matt this story before when I first met him. I asked, "Could it be cancer?" They go, "No, you're too young to have cancer." <laughs> right. That's, uh, that's I met a, Matt. Yeah. I'm like, it's I a good name for an organization. <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was so, so that was not on my radar at all. She was, she was sure it wasn't cancer. I was just going to go into surgery and get the benign tumor tumor removed and maybe one ovary, but I could still have children with one ovary left over. And so then I went into surgery, and when they opened me up, they found cancer spread throughout my abdomen and removed everything without me knowing it because I was still under anesthetic. And when I woke up in the recovery room, that's when I found out that everything was removed, cancer, infertility, menopause, all that fun stuff. Wow, so that's a lot. So not only did you get the diagnosis, but then you had to know that they had did they do like a total hysterectomy? I mean, what yeah, was it? yeah, yeah. They removed the body parts I'd never heard of. Yeah, wow, <laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot to handle emotionally, yeah. psychologically. Now I can imagine Mark is nodding his head through this entire conversation here because you probably see a lot of patients that go through this trafficking through the hospital. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, we're seeing more and more like young people. Most of my patients are actually in the 30s and 40s, which is pretty scary. Um, this is touch. We, I, I have three kids. My wife is pregnant with our fourth. And, you know, we, after my radioactive iodine treatment, 
some reason we could not conceive. So we actually, we don't know if it was from that or whatever, but we went through fertility also. We had twins through IVF. And then our second and third were natural, so which was a blessing. Wow. And then the fourth, the fourth is a natural also, which is also a blessing. But um, it's a big stress. The whole thing was a big stress. Yeah. So I can appreciate everybody else's comments about that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, the cancer thing is happening everywhere. And the scariest thing about it is being a young adult, dealing with younger people than me now, 20s, 30s, and 40s. So <clears throat> it's pretty intense. Yeah, Mark, tell us, because you are a doctor of osteopathy, a DO as opposed to an MD, how does that translate in the cancer world? Right, it's interesting. So DO is the same as an MD. It's just kind of a different philosophy of medicine. I think we're actually more down to people, but we're very much same qualification. And, and what's, um, just in a nutshell, just describe the difference in the in philosophy between the, the two. The philosophy is basically looking at the whole person, so you're just focusing on the disease. Right. And we also learn some physical therapy techniques in terms of mind-body relationship instead of just giving out medicines to kind of, you know, give extra care if you don't want to just throw medicines at it. So that's kind of one approach that DOs take um, if you want to use those techniques. In oncology, obviously, we don't have that opportunity to use those techniques, but, you know, there are people who just do those techniques as a profession, um, like mostly physical therapy and some manipulation techniques, but I don't practice that. So, but I believe that as a, as a DO, you know, there's very few DO oncologists. So the few that are there, I think, are very well trained psychologically, emotionally, um, very grounded in terms of patient care. I find that I see a lot of other oncologists out there who don't have the same bedside manners, but I think that could just be a personality issue. But, you know, I just feel like we're very grounded as physicians versus some of my MD colleagues. Right, I, and I would agree with that. I know a lot of DOs. In fact, I have, I have a friend who's a surgical oncologist in Madison, Wisconsin, who's a DO, and yeah. he's the most well-mannered bedside. He loves people. He's very engaged. There's always that barrier of getting too emotionally involved with patients, but he, you, you find a way, and he's a great guy. Um, my question for you, Mark, and I guess for Julia's providers, is is for folks like myself or, or, or Marsha or Aaron uh, and so many others, who go through this every year, having to deal with cancer either before or after you have a family, what do you foresee as the, the largest gaps in service or communications or provide, provisioning uh, to to fill these voids? Uh, i guess start yeah, with uh, Julie first. I think, I think, right. I think we need a ton more people like Julie um, to be I agree. In, we need a ton in, more people like Julie. Right. I'll second that. To, to actually be in cancer centers. I mean, I think that that's invaluable. Um, I think that what I have at Hans Place has really kind of brought New York and Fairfield County, Connecticut area together in terms of the young adult group and getting the word out for, like, the Westchester and Fairfield County area. But Julie is kind of invaluable, and, you know, it's just that's that's what we need. There's a breakdown. And I don't think anybody's ever spoken about young adults ever. So... For some reason now it's all of a sudden starting. But that's kind of what I think is a major breakdown. I would say, listening to everyone's story, I, I loved hearing what Marcia said that her social worker, and it sounds like there, there might be somebody out there that found her, said to her about the importance of grieving the loss of her own biological children before she could move on to her options. And I think that there are so many different intersections that happen when you're diagnosed with cancer. And what I mean by that are so many major 
life-changing moments that change your direction, that it that it it takes it takes the space and the time to grieve those moments and to kind of acknowledge them and recognize them. That this isn't just this isn't just one fell swoop of like you know dealing quote unquote with cancer. It's grieving a child that you're not going to have. It's you know re assessing what kind of career you're going to you're going to move toward. It's these very identity defining moments and that's not just cancer. It's really about yourself. And I think you know often in the hospital or you know too many support services it's kind of all about adjustment to cancer. And I think if we can kind of broaden that idea that it's really about looking at yourself and allowing for those moments and, and recognizing how important it is to to experience the all the feelings, the range of emotion in there. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Uh, what about talking to kids? Let's take the other big issue here in terms of what to tell your kids. I don't know if between Marsha and Aaron with your young ones, I mean, you had already had the diagnosis, if they're even old enough or old enough to speak to you about it or, or not really because they don't have to you know, actively see you going through treatment. But does anybody want to jump in here in terms of uh, best ways to talk to kids? You want to I go, Marcia? I, okay. I know it. Go. Um, oh, Aaron, did you want to go? No, 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 you go first. Oh, okay. I have kind of a cute story. My, my boys are five and a half, so they, and uh, our surrogate mom is a very close friend now to me. We met through the surrogate agency, but now she's like a sister, and she's in our family's life, and we're very wow, close. Wow, that's great. That's yeah, amazing. Huh. We got really lucky. She is unbelievable. But, um they know the story, how she had the babies, and I made a picture book out of, you know, me and Daddy standing in our scrubs while she did all the work. Wow. You know, and had nice. the babies. Very nice. <laughs> and we're like, I'm, we're like two dads, you know, like, yeah, here she goes. And, um, she, and then one way on the way to school, one of my sons was like, he goes, Mommy, you made a mistake. I go, what? He goes, you put me in Aunt, in Aunt Catrice's belly and not in yours. Oh. <laughs> wow. I know. That wow. was, like that was like a month after we even talked about it. It was totally out of the blue. So it's just I don't know how their little minds think about things, but that's and then that's about it. I mean, it's really a non-issue after you have kids. Like all the stuff, all the pain you went through going up to it disappears, and it's replaced with insomnia. <laughs> right now, now, Marcia, you only have those two kids, right? Yes. So, only. So two at a time. Only. Two. Uh, two at once for the first time was enough. Yes, you can relate, right? I can only relate. My 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 shop was closed the day after the IVF worked. <laughs> but what was your response, Marsha, when your son said that to you? Oh, I I just laughed. Um, what did I say? I'll have to get back to you on that. I got to think about it. Right. I said. So, and Aaron, I, you obviously. Uh, just, just a quick question for Aaron uh, and uh, Julie. You only have one, so you haven't. Aaron has two. No, no, but Julie only right. has one, so okay. she hasn't yet forgotten how horrible it is to start having a second one. This leads <laughs> me to go to Aaron, which is knowing how hard it was to have one. Why would you want to have two? I'm kidding, but talk, talk us through that process. Of having a second? Yeah. I think um, I don't know. You know, I I come from. I have two sisters. I come from a big family of. You know, we've. Uh, cousins and we all hung out and we had you know my sisters are my best friends still we're in our 30s and I just wanted that for my son um and 
I see now. I mean, I have he he and uh, Alex and Nora are their names, and they are, you know, they fight and they run around after each other and they laugh and they you know they hug and they're adorable. And I I can't imagine not having a sibling for you know for either of them, but. At the same time, I didn't, you know, I, 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 better that they have a mother and not a sibling. You know, like I didn't do it right. just for that reason. I made sure, sure that my, you know, my health was still going to be good and that um, that it made sense. Um, but for me, just to, to talk about the cancer thing, I, I spend a lot of my time, you know, I do a lot of work with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society and, um, you know, a few other organizations. And so they, right now, Alex, when I'm doing my cancer stuff, it's like parties. You know, it's parties and walks and fun stuff. So right, right now he associates it with fundraising and helping others. And I I don't know. I mean, and, and, and maybe that's Julie the has worst a thought thing on this. But no, that's good. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But right now, like, I, I was a very, like, you know, I, I couldn't, if my mom had a cold, I would worry when I was a kid. Yeah. So I don't really know when I will tell um, you know, my my kids that I've had cancer. I just think that that could be an unnecessary worry for them. Um, but at the same time, I'm really proud of being a survivor and all the work I do, and I want that to be a big part of their life as well. So I don't know. I'd be interested to hear, you know, thoughts on, on when is the appropriate time. And, Mark, I have a question. Were you a doctor when you were diagnosed? Yes. Did you find that that came in handy? Well, I, no, it was bad. I knew <laughs> more than I wanted to know. Yeah. So I really thought I had lymphoma because um, – because um, I just thought that's what it was, but then I was actually happier that it was at least thyroid cancer, so I didn't need any chemotherapy. Um, but just one thing, I got this amazing book by one of these women who wanted to be at the conference, Sue Glader, and it says nowhere. Oh, yeah, she'll be on the show in she, May. Sue's coming on the show oh, in May. Oh, she's fantastic. I have Sue. her book, too. Yeah, yeah so her cool. book is awesome, and I think that we really should give it a shout-out when we're at the people conference because it's it's incredible. So it's nowhere here. Yeah, nowhere here. Right. Yep, it's beautifully Great. illustrated and it's such a yeah. nice story. I'm actually looking at it right now. I have it right on my <laughs> desk. I met yeah. Sue at the C4YW conference. She is so cool. She's going to be actually on a an island during the OMG summit. Yeah, um, that's, that's what you told me. In the BVI? <laughs> Somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but let's go. Actually, let's go back to um, Aaron's question because maybe Julie can uh, jump in, uh, jump in here and help us answer it. When Aaron, you said you wondered when is the right time to tell kids that you've had cancer. Julie, do you have any thoughts about that? Well, I'm gonna just kind of backtrack just a little bit to kind of what you first brought up a few minutes ago about how do you parent your when you have children. You know, everybody on our panel t- tonight did not have children at the time of their diagnosis, but what happens when you do? And I would say that those people that walk into my office, and I've, I've seen the children too. I've worked a lot with children in that um, experience as well. And parents are so hesitant to say the word cancer because in society, cancer is a big, hairy, scary thing. But children don't know that necessarily. And they're learning the context of every word through the eyes of their parents. So it's a moment that you get to write what that word means, that it doesn't need to mean those scary lung cancer commercials that we see on on TV that are really, really threatening, that it could mean something different. And I would say for people who are survivors, you've come to understand what cancer has done for you, what, what I, that's, I, that's, I hate saying those words because, you know, it's like hard to say 
cancer's done something for you, but the way in which it's changed you, the way in which it's given you perspective, the way in which it's kind of re-altered your life, and those are the things that you share. Those are the, that's, the, that's the second half of the story. The first half is I was diagnosed. The second half is then what happened. Which um, goes back to Erin's point, I think, about how, you know, her son knows it as fundraising and helping people, which right. I think is great. Yeah, yes. Right. Oh, and then, it, and then it's 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 given in many ways the, the lives of I can tell everybody on the panel, um, certainly a, a purpose. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's many purposes to your life. You have many very you probably have a myriad of things that you do beyond cancer. But on one level, a very significant purpose based on your career and what you've done. So, so that that's information that is really great to share with kids. It gives them kind of this vision of what you can become or what can happen when something really bad happens to you. It doesn't have to flatten you. It doesn't have to destroy you. It doesn't have to, like, demolish your, you know, your future. This is what you can make of it. This is what you can do with a lot of hard work. And and it was hard work to go through cancer. So, you know, this is what that can look like. Um, I would say for... Go ahead. Yeah, for young, for when you're first diagnosed and people have kids, I, I have people come in and they're, they're scared to death to talk about it, and, and they don't know what to say, they don't know what to do. And my message to people, and I don't know who's listening tonight, or I know this, this is going to repeat at OMG, so I don't know who will be in our audience there, but my message always to parents when they have children at home is that your kids know. Kids are smart. Kids are in tune. You, if you've got kids, you know it. They get it. When the tone of the house is different, they know. You might not need to say anything, but they know something is not quite right between mom and dad. They know when something's not quite right with phone calls coming in that get very serious. They know. And if we don't give them some sort of concrete, simple information, their imaginations are amazing. And yeah. they can also be very, very scary. So if if they can take that quiet phone call that you had that left you with a solemn look, and they can write a very scary story around that. So my words always are, we, you and your family, or you and I together in this session, we need to come up with the script for how you're going to tell them and what you're going to say. And then I think the second point is to find or connect your children with a supportive other, somebody outside of yourself because often kids are incredibly sensitive to their mommy and daddy, and they don't want to make you even more upset. So they're not going to ask you their questions or their worries because they don't want to hurt you even more. But they sure will ask the social worker or their teacher or the principal. So if they can get with them, I have people come into my office, little ones come into my office, I shut the door and they say, is mommy going to die? They can't ask that to their mommy, but they can ask it to me. Right, right. And that lets it off their chest, and it gives them a place to be able to talk about it, and that's so, so important. Yeah, definitely. And talking about doing positive things with your diagnosis, I want to circle back to Marsha and just have her tell everybody out there uh, what MyLifeline.org is as the founder of that. Why don't you tell folks a little bit about it, Marsha? Yeah, sure thing. Um, So when I was going through the cancer treatment and chemo, I really struggled with keeping my friends and family up to date with what was going on and coordinating the care that was needed to take me to treatments or or sit with me while I was sick. And so a few years later, a friend of mine, Lori, was diagnosed with brain cancer at the age of 33. And unfortunately, she died two years later. Um, But when she was first diagnosed, her friends owned a web company, and they created this beautiful website for her. This was in 2003, and I'd never seen anything like it. I just thought it was the most amazing thing, the way her support network expanded and was able to um, take care of her altogether and help her family take care of her was unbelievable through until the day she died. 
and after that, after she passed away, I just kept thinking about her, and and I talked to her mom, and she, her mom said that website was our lifeline. And I just thought every cancer patient should have the opportunity to create a free personal website um, to help them connect with friends and family um, to make sure that they have the best experience possible and just get all the support that they need. Um, so my lifeline.org cancer foundation was born in 2007. Uh, so we've, uh, in May it will be four years since we launched our, our program, and our service is free to all cancer patients. That's great. Just slightly younger than us. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Ever so slightly. Yep. Well, we're going to start wrapping up now, but I want to go around. First of all, this is great. This show gets podcasted. It will be heard in perpetuity. You guys are going to be at the OMG Summit on April 16th and 17th, talking about this to 400 cancer survivors from all across the world coming to New York. It's a big deal. And streaming on And streaming live to tens of thousands of people across the web. No no pressure, of course. (laughs) But um, just I want to go around one last time and go through your, your, you know, there's no really concluding thoughts here, but your take on how cancer has really affected you as a parent. Are you a little more neurotic now about your kid's health? Have you gotten rid of all the Clorox? We lost them as a sponsor. Anyway, (laughs) uh, all the toxic crap in your house. What has has going what has I can't speak. No. What has having gone through this? There we go. And no pressure, but in about sixty seconds or less. <laughs> no, no. Affected the way yeah. that you you parent. Let's start with Mark, the doctor, the good doctor, Mark. Yeah. So, so basically, we are. My wife is so anal about chemicals, formaldehyde, any of that stuff, and so it's all out of the house. I'm completely neurotic. Um, scared as death because it's, it's it's a chronic disease. Cancer is chronic <laughs> yeah. disease. Yes. We relate to neuroses. Out. Yeah, it's a neuroses. Yeah. Yeah. It's a neuroses. We, so we relate to that. It's one of those things. Every six months when I go back to Slunk Entering, I have to think about it and deal with it and so forth. And But, you know, with the kids, yeah, I mean, I, t- I took my daughter to the ER this morning because she had a distended abdomen, so I'm thinking the worst. So it's just, it's just nonstop. So, yeah, that, that's summing up in one second. Yeah. Uh, Marsha? Uh, some things, you know, I feel like I'm I'm trying to live as healthy as I can, and if I don't see vegetables on my kids' plates, I, I really am not happy. <laughs> so I always try and force them to eat some vegetables. And um, and then other than that, I go to an organic dry cleaner. I don't even know if that's, like, if they're really organic, but it makes me feel good that there's <laughs> I'm all, I'm all for it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, Why not? And, and as far as relating to the kids, I kind of feel like I'm more rela- like things aren't as big of a deal to me because I've been through the cancer experience. So, so if they were to ask me about cancer, um, I'd be very comfortable telling them at at an age appropriate level what it is. And they they come up with all kinds of questions like about dying and death, and they you know they ask so many things that you don't even know exactly how to answer, and just answer it at the at the age appropriate level that they are at their maturity level and and then it's like no big deal they're like okay you know so i think that that they're very resilient and they can they can handle more than we think how about erin ms zamet ruddy neurosis well, that kicks in here i i aspire to be that you know neurotic person but um you know i mean i i read all these things and i i we certainly try to eat organic and and not have chemicals in the house but Having two kids, you know, three and one-year-old who are very high energy, you kind of, I kind of can't be that anal neurotic person that I'd like to be. And I, you know, I forget because I'm so busy, you know, keeping them from beating each other up or whatever it is, whatever the issue of the day is. But for me, 
it's good because I can get wrapped up in, you know, oh, it's nap time, it's bedtime, and they have to eat this meal, and I'm the same with the vegetables and all of this. And then it's like, you know what, I've had cancer. I, You know, I've been through all this crazy stuff. Sometimes it's nice to just get on the floor with them and play and relax and not be so not be so crazy because getting every day with them and just, you know, even when they are being crazy, like that's that's such a blessing and that's not something that I would have been given, you know, 10 years ago or, what you know, whatever it was. So I, um, for me it works to, to calm me down as a parent and to keep me from getting too neurotic, actually. And, uh, Julie, yes, you're not a survivor, but you've been working in this field forever. I'm sure this has definitely uh, detoxified your, your, your house for your child. Well, you know, I'm listening to everything. I, I would say that listening to all these stories and being connected, well, the one thing I would say, I feel incredibly grateful. I feel so fortunate. And, and kind of similar to what Aaron said, it has given me pers- perspective that when something doesn't go quite right, when there's a complete meltdown in aisle two, when there aren't the balanced meal on the edges, I just feel like, you know what, there are other stories happening in this world in my life right now this is not this is not the end of the day and i feel like i come back to that all the time and it keeps me grounding it keeps me breathing and it makes me feel like ah oh, i just appreciate this experience so very very much breathing's good don't forget yeah. to breathe yes we need we need air <laughs> air helps all right well i can't thank you guys enough for taking the time to be on the show tonight we can't wait to have you it's gonna be a great panel on stage OMG. in front of all these people everybody you, listening high energy like you've never seen before Aaron was one of our keynotes in 2008. Is that correct? Oh, that sounds about right. Yeah. So we've come a long way, baby. You're going to be blown away. Oh, I'm so excited. I really am. Well, I'd like to thank you guys once again. We'll see you in three and a half weeks here in New York. Thanks, everybody. And uh, have a great night. Kiss thank those you. kids. All right. Oh, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Julie Larson. Oh, that was good. That was quality right there. That was super Aaron, quality Marcia, right there. Yep. And the good doctor. And the good doctor. Dr. Mark Rappaport. All right. Well, you know, it's, it is it is time to wrap. Um, I don't mean hip-hop. I know. <laughs> I was waiting. My for, human beatbox? I was waiting. Jesse, Jesse is not here tonight. <laughs> yeah. I, that was not me. That was, that was very good. That was Lisa. And I'm going oh, home now. Oh, gosh. All right. Well, 9.14. Now it is time for we'll our closing. Sequence, prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, folks, that is tonight's show, our 176th broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer. We'd like to thank our guests, Toby Brown, Julie Larson, Marcia Donziger, Dr. Mark Rappaport, and Aaron Zamet-Ruddy. Next week, we have yet another pre-OMG walk-up panel discussion single with cancer. Sage Baldy joins us. You know her, you love her. Been on the show many times, Ph.D., young adult oncology counselor. At Inova Health Systems, Johnny Immerman. You may have heard of him, young adult survivor of testicular cancer and the founder of Immerman Angels. And Tracy Maxwell, a young adult survivor of ovarian cancer and the founder of Solo Survivors. And kicking it off with the spotlight, Eric Charsky, young adult survivor of colon cancer. Alrighty, folks, if you've missed any of our past shows, download them all for free 
on iTunes at itunes.stupidcancer.com or check out the archives at stupidcancershow.com. Remember, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Lisa Bernhardt, myself, Kenny Kane, and our whole team here at I2Y, have a great week. Go to the darn blurballs. It's an open smile.